0: The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts.
1: Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale talking about news, kickstarters, and games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 36th... Oh, out of the gate, Glenn, out of the gate again. (laughs) It's become a thing now. Hey, welcome to the 36th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the... 10th of January. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. Uh, we ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure you have the right size baggies for grouping your recently punched out gaming chits and pieces whew, while you're gathered at the meeting table. That was a long one. Okay, hey, let's move on. Uh, our guest here tonight is Nick Bentley. and Hello. He, he is the creator of the game called STINKER. I'm sorry, STINKER! That's right, that's right. Exclamation mark at the end of it. Um, I did some did some research and some digging, and I like how you came up with the name, and we'll, we'll come to that later when we do our actual interview, but thank you and welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: our second-in-command is Glenn Bittner, and he is a movie reviewer on the YouTube show The B Movie Bunker, and the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you this evening?
0: Well, I did not win the lottery last night, which is why I'm still here in my basement recording this podcast with you.
1: <laughs> are you saying if you won, like a, a billion? Dollars? If I
0: won, we'd be recording this from the brand new Galactic Netcast recording studio that I would build with my winnings. <laughs> We'd live have a really fast contractor. You can turn <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you, when you have a couple hundred million dollars, you can get shit done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you build your own gaming Unless, unless you're
0: and Congress. And...
1: Well, there is that. <laughs> All right. As usual, uh, we are going to roundtable our game review that Glenn's going to hook us up with. Uh, doing some gaming news, and we'll talk more with our guest, Nick Bentley, and then we'll... Oh, jeez, I need to rewrite my show notes. That's terrible, terrible.
0: Hey, let's move on. Hey, Glenn! (laughs) I hear you have a game review for us. I do have a game review for us. You know, Brad, we've been doing this for so long now that games that we had on our Kickstarter uh, highlight are now available to actually have and play.
1: See, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, has it been... Oh, yeah, yes. that's right.
0: So, from 2015, by Matt Wolf, we have Wombat Rescue. <laughs> One to four players, plays in about 60 minutes, and retails for about $50. little background here about wombats. Did you know, and this is actually true, that wombats poop cubes, their poop is actually cube-shaped. Uh, scientists theorize that due to their extremely poor vision, but incredible sense of smell, that wombats use their poop as smell markers to help them navigate their environment. It is cube-shaped because it's less likely to roll away or be moved. In Wombat Rescue, you play as a mama wombat, and the dastardly dingo has chased away your babies. <laughs> So you will need to navigate the board by eating food, digesting it, and then pooping in areas to create smell areas so you can navigate your environment, find your babies, and bring them home safely. The player who best plans their smell areas and moves most efficiently will prove victorious, as long as you get all four of your baby wombats back home. Uh, When Brad and I talked about this one on Kickstarter, it was kind of (laughs) along the lines of, you can make a game with almost anything as your theme, <laughs> which is true. It However, is. it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a good game. We're, we got a good one with this one. Um, they took an interesting concept and built a really good game around it. Um, I have played it now uh, four times uh, since, since the new year, um, and it plays really, really well. So what you're doing is so... All the, the whole board is made up of, the, of hex, it's hexes, um, and some have food on them, some don't. But what you're going to be doing is you're going to be moving around on the board. You, get, uh, you can take anywhere from zero to three moves. And what a move is, is you can move anywhere you want in a straight line. has to be a straight line because the wombats, aside from the cubes, are also obstinate, and once they decide on something, they follow through with it, so it's straight lines only. But if you have a good enough smell zone, you can move pretty darn far because there's no limit to how far you can move as long as you can still smell your own poop. Um, <laughs> if you can't, if you get out of a, what's called your sm- a smell area, there are cards that you will then move randomly in a direction because you're lost. Um, if there's food next to you, you can automatically move to that because you can smell food. If one of your babies is next to you, you can automatically move to them. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting how you will navigate the board because you have to strategically place your poop. And then, of course, your opponents are doing the same, both to help themselves as well as block you, because one rule for movement is, if you encounter any obstacles, you have to stop. Meaning, if you encounter food, you stop. If you encounter someone else's poop, you stop. So, you may have a great path all set for yourself, and then someone goes along and poops in the middle of it, and now you have to stop halfway through your move because somebody pooped where you were walking. Um, (laughs) There's also a mechanic where uh, one player will control the dingo uh, eat the, at the end of their turn. The dingo, uh, you roll a movement die for it, which would mean between one to four spaces. It will move to whoever, whatever wombat's closest. In the event of a tie, the player who controls the dingo decides where the dingo goes. If the dingo catches you, you run back home to your burrow. Uh, if you had a baby with you, your baby goes back to where you found them. Uh. So, um. You also get a handful of um, special tokens you can use during the game that are one-time use only. One is just simply a move one space in any direction regardless of smell zone. There's one uh, called the High Fiber Diet, which makes you immediately poop out the food that is in the lowest part of your digestive tract. Uh, (laughs) And there's also the Hold It In, which prevents you from pooping at the end of your turn if you want to. And then there's the just run all the way home, which is a good one to play if you're cornered by the wamba, by the dingo and you want to get home quick and you have a baby. You play that one, you can just zip home without having to actually do your moves. Um, but there's a lot of strategy going on in the game because you're really plotting out those, if you can get a good set of smell areas, um, <laughs> you can zip all the way. I mean, you can technically, if you have it set up right, you can go from one end of the board to the other in one move. Oh, wow. As long as you have a, an uninterrupted straight line where your smell zones all connect, so it's it's pretty darn impressive how well you can you can navigate the environment.
1: You know, there's part of this almost, and and part of it is the and uh, for those of you who are watching us on on YouTube, uh, I've got some some graphics from uh, Board Game Geek for this particular game here, Wombat Rescue, and the board is they they're all hexes. And when you talk about the, the movement of the dingo, it almost reminds me of the mechanic for, oh my god, uh, Catan.
0: Oh, with the robber?
1: Yeah, with the robber.
0: A little bit, sure.
1: Um, I mean, it's not entirely the same.
0: But no. And there are, I haven't played the advanced rules yet, but there's advanced rules where actually the dingo will not only chase wombats, he'll eat your poop because you know things with dogs some dogs do that so <laughs> the are to destroy <laughs> your smell areas
1: that's funny and gross all at the same yes. time
2: so i feel like you guys are burying the lead a little bit here i cannot believe that wombat poop is actually square and in fact i'm losing the trail of this conversation because i have like 6 tabs open confirming <laughs> yeah. that wan- wombat poop is cubic <laughs> Yep. Now I'm trying to figure out what goes on inside a wombat sphincter to render <laughs> the cube. I can't figure it out. It's magic.
1: <laughs> Wombats are magical. So are platypi, platypuses, plat is platypi-
2: What is the? Plata- I think it's platypuses. <laughs>
1: Wasn't that a, a James Bond film?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was. That was a, a femme oh. fatale in a James Bond film. Ah,
1: thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like and that the, answer the honestly, They do not have square buttholes. No, it's you have cubic poop coming out of a round butthole. Yep, that makes zero sense to me. My mind is blown.
1: Ah, uh, the animal kingdom.
0: And the one of the comments made today is the fact that they said, you know, I never thought I would say poop so many times in a single day.
2: <laughs> now, do you think the market for this game is limited by its theme? A
0: bit. It's, the thing is, is uh, some people will instantly be turned off because they're like, oh, poop, I, or, or, I'm too hoity-toity to deal with poop. Um, or they'll just be turned off because they won't give the game a chance because they, they'll think it's too silly. Because yeah. they'll think poop and they'll think, oh, this is a game for 11-year-old boys. Right. Uh, like the card game Pooh, which is also a game that involves poop, but not just for your 11-year-old boys. It's for everyone. So is this.
2: I, I, um, I feel like each of us has an 11-year-old boy inside of us.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody poops, and that's what makes this universal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, and this is from Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, what else has Eagle Griffin done?
0: Oh we
2: might boy! Know
0: you always ask me this, and I never think to look it up ahead of time, even though.
2: <laughs> are they the ones that republished the Sid Saxon Little Box games?
0: Uh, I don't remember. Um, Pick a Polar Bear is them. Uh, Defenders of the Realm. Uh, Sir Francis Drake, Salmon Run. Um, Triassic Terror. To uh Taluva. Um, Age of Empires. Okay. So they've done a fair number of games. They've been around for a while.
1: Okay. Very cool. I I can't. I remember laughing incredibly hard when we were talking about this game as a Kickstarter. And yeah, we did have that discussion that you can make a game out of anything as long as the mechanics are sound, and it's fun and it probably doesn't take too long to play.
0: No, this game is right about an hour.
1: Yeah, and that's that's really good for a, a strategy-type game like this, I think. And, yeah, yeah we're talking about poop here, but, <laughs> I mean, like I said before, everybody poops. It's universal. That shouldn't turn you off. And I feel like I've learned a little bit more about <laughs> "Quote it's, unquote, God's creatures." Pretty cool. Yeah. Now I know for a fact that wombats poop square cubes. That's legit. Yeah. Um, and it's a about. Would you say fifty dollars for yeah. for the game? Okay.
2: Yeah, uh, wombat know? meeples are very cute.
1: <laughs> they are.
0: Uh, they the dingo, though. Is freaking crazy looking because he's got two eyes on each side of his head. <laughs>
1: Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I kind of noticed the uh, the wombat is designed very much face on, so you have one eye on one side and one eye on the other. But the dingo is kind of his head is at an angle, so yeah, when you when you look at it on one side, it looks right, but if you try to look at it straight on, it's Got four eyes essentially.
2: Like a spider dingo hybrid, or maybe a Cerberus dingo.
1: (laughs) Spider dingo. Mm -hmm. See, there's a Marvel character. (laughs) (laughs) Spider dingo. All right, and you you said you played it four times now, and everybody that you played it with had a good time.
0: Yeah, uh, everyone everyone enjoyed it. Mm Um, and I mean, I've played this with uh, uh. One of our friends' wives, uh, Joanne. Okay, yeah, it, and she's not a big gamer, and she's she still really enjoyed it, which is good. It's a it's a game that gamers can enjoy, and the fact that someone who isn't a big gamer can sit down and play it, pick it up pretty easily, and she almost won. Oh, nice! Uh, she was a turn away from winning, so somebody just had a slightly better smell zone than she did, and was able to sweep in for the win <laughs> right at the end there. <laughs>
1: Those are words I've never thought I would ever hear about a game a better smell zone <laughs> all right, uh one to four players, sixty minutes and fifty dollars that's that's pretty reasonable I think for yeah. for a game that that's that, that is that fun and that engaging. Yeah. and yeah, you're right, knowing Joanne, she's not a big gamer, but that's really cool that she it it pulled her in and got her to play. That's really yeah. nice all right. Thank you very much for that, Glenn. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to move on, and we've changed things up here a little bit. Uh, Galactic Netcasts would like your help. Uh, If you enjoy what you hear, consider making a donation to help us pay for our web and audio hosting. Uh, A donation of as little as a dollar a month can help us keep the lights on and grow the network. A $3... Here's something kind of interesting that we put together. $3 a month gets you a monthly newsletter with extra stories related to all of our podcasts. And we do multiple shows. We have The Alien Invasion, which is uh, aliens in science fiction. Um, We poke fun at, like, uh, what is it? Um, Weekly World News, stuff like that. But then we also talk about Ridley Scott films and things like that. So and, and actual science. We'll talk about exoplanets and things like that. So that's interesting. Uh, Sci-Fi Geeks Club. We have a, a guest on and we talk about something sci-fi based, usually about what they do. They're a guest that somehow ties in with science fiction and general geekery. So we've got a lot of different shows that we do. Uh, if you do a $5 a month, you get an extra episode of each of our shows. And that's only available to the, our backers, to our patrons. So if you go to patreon.com slash galactic netcasts and donate what you can, we would greatly appreciate that. Alright, we're going to move on to the news. And this caught my eye because I had never heard of this gaming system before and it seems really awesome. And so awesome that I actually uh, purchased the system and actually purchased uh, the supplement here or the game setting that we're going to be talking about here. Uh, Trollish Delver Games releases... Somnium Void setting for USR. Now, what's USR? Uh, USR is the gaming system, the unbelievably simple role-playing system, USR. And uh, I I haven't had a a chance to dig deep into the rules, but it it looks like a great general setup. Uh, To the story... Uh, The game book features 10 character archetypes specifically designed for space opera-style gaming. There's also seven different races you can pick uh, for your character, from fairly standard choices to a few that are a bit out there, uh, because we all would eventually buy a spaceship and then fight other people with said spaceship. (laughs) There's rules for spaceship combat. You want to be able to visit crazy places with the aforementioned spaceship, So there's descriptions of three different star systems with a total of 15 planets. You're going to come across all manner of allies and villains as well, so there's a bunch of them. Finally, a bunch of random tables to help you generate adventures. The system is a... And and one of the reasons why I backed it is this. Uh, The system is a pay what you want to uh, pay, and so is the setting book. Now, I managed to pick up mine at... Uh, uh, oh, God. Of course, now my brain would completely turn off. At uh, drive-through RPG. There we go. And, uh, yeah, I picked it up because I thought it was really cool. I was thought it was kind of neat to do a pay-what-you-want-to-pay system, and I hope that, you know, folks aren't just dropping just a little bit of money. They're actually kind of backing... Indie stuff like this. I think that's really cool. The game company is Trollish Delver Games. And the setting is Somnium Void. And it is a space opera setting for that system. But they also have fantasy. They have uh, comic book of the genre, um, and they have multiple genres that all work around these, the, the USR rules, and I thought that that was really kind of cool. And it sort of reminded me a, a little bit of what uh, Chris Tregenza, uh, who we had on before from 66 uh, Fireball uh, with the Age of Heroes setting that they were doing for, for their gaming system, so...
2: Do you know if they've published any information about how much people are actually paying on average for that? Uh,
1: I didn't see anything on that. Uh, I did go to their website to try to check some things out, but uh, I didn't see anything listed there.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm curious. That business model has shown... I mean, it works very well in other fields. I think Radiohead did it. Louis C.K. did it. Sure. For music and comedy, respectively. I've never heard of it done for a game, so I'm curious...
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is it's pay what you want. I I spent more than the suggested one dollar suggested price, um, but I'm kind of wondering if people
0: you're not a cheap ass.
1: Well,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: you have the option of paying zero.
1: I it looks like you could if you if you wanted to, because at the very bottom, if you go to drive through dot com for Somnium Void. USR Space Opera setting is what it's listed under. At the at the very bottom, it says you will need the free USR rulebook to play. So, if you click that, it shoots you to Drive Through RPGs uh, listing for USR 2.0. Hmm. And again, it says suggested price one dollar, but they mention free on the other link. So,
2: hmm. you could not that pay you nothing. Should do it for free. No, out absolutely there. not. Internet land.
1: No, absolutely. It, it's one of those things where if somebody's going to take the time to, to construct something, you should really, if you're interested in playing, at least, you know, maybe you pay a dollar for the base system, but any genre setting on top of that, I would definitely pay a lot more than that. Um, you know, depending on what kind of budget you have to, to work with. But. Considering, uh, like my girlfriend just bought the core rule book for Pathfinder, and then she picked up the APG, and the core rules are fifty bucks. Now, granted. It's a hardcover, <laughs> um, so I mean you're 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 paying for the book printing and stuff like that. And the Somnium Void and the USR, they are all uh, watermarked PDFs, so there isn't uh, any printing costs and stuff available there. But I mean, if you if you look at like Kindle books that you you, you might purchase and whatnot, that's you know, ninety nine cents up to I've seen a Kindle book at fifteen
2: i I've, I've spent fifteen bucks on a Kindle book sure mm-hmm
1: so I'm pretty sure i I gave them ten bucks a piece for the u s r and for the uh, somnium void setting just because i mean that's it's <laughs> just a decent thing to do if somebody's going to put that time and effort into it uh, you, you don't just pull that out of your keister and make it happen um and then have people write stories <laughs> about what you do. So it must be a good system. So, Yeah. Um, you guys are kind of interjecting a little bit while while I was uh, talking about this. Um, kind of know where you're standing, your point of view here, Nick. Uh, Glenn, how do you feel about that?
0: Uh, I think it's all right.
1: But...
0: I don't know. I would need to know a bit more.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I just... I dig systems that are very... Because I know... Uh, Will Wheaton... And I can't, uh, Was it uh, Green...
0: Green Ronan.
1: Green Ronan. Thank you. Uh, worked on a bare bones system that was kind of stripped of everything and then he laid basically a fantasy uh, setting on top of that for uh, the show that he was doing. So it's really cool to see stripped-down systems like this, not unlike... not unlike Hero or... uh, you know, we were talking about Chris Dragenza's system.
0: Yeah. Um, I suppose it... I should say, as far as the stripped-down system goes, it can be a good thing... Um, I think one of the issues is is that if you come with a stripped down system that can be applied to almost anything, uh, it's kind of like the thing now how it's kind of like how YouTube is now, is that when you make something available to everyone, you do get some cool stuff, but you have a lot more crap to sift through. Is is it can be a problem because then lots of people just make stuff, because they've got this system they can use that's already there, mm-hmm. so. It can it can be good in some ways, and that you'll get some cool stuff out of it that you might not have gotten because you have some people who have great ideas for setting, but they're not mechanics people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something I when I when I did Mistrunner, I'm not I'm not a huge mechanics person. I don't like a lot of mechanics in my game, so I can see the appeal of that because it lets people have good ideas to get something out there without having to worry about uh, a mechanics system that will bog them down. Uh, but I think also that some people just make them because they can, who because you'll go, oh, I like this game, you know, I like this mechanic that they use because I've played other games using this open system. Oh, here's a say this cool, and you get it, and it's someone who just wanted to make a game and it's it didn't have the skills to back it up. Mm. So, but I mean, it's it's a risk you take with that. I mean, they, and generally these things, uh, this type of thing, you're you aren't, you, aren't, you know, you're gonna be out a lot of money. It's like yeah. you know, you to pay fifty bucks for one of these things. I mean, if if you do, then you know, if you get burned, well, then you know, you lit that candle.
1: Um, <laughs> well, fair enough, fair enough.
0: But uh, I mean, I I can see a appeal of it both ways. I mean, the other thing is that stripped down systems. I've had people try to tell me that you know, well, you can fit anything into this. I'm like, eh, no, because I mean, the more stripped the the more stripped down it is, the less it can be universally applied to because then you still have to come up with other things to make certain things fit. Yeah. So yeah. That, that can sometimes then all of a sudden you have, well, here are the rules, and then these are the all the other rules we had to write Alongside to compensate those rules, some of which break the rules that already existed, some of which we had to rewrite the rules completely. So the rules that you have in the book here that are the rules are only kind of the rules because they don't quite fit everything we wanted. So here are the other rules that are the different rules than the rules that you have. (laughs) Because I've been down that road at at conventions playing games uh, with the one you had open the OGL for for D twenty. And okay. people tried to f- apply anything to D20, and it didn't work for some things. Okay. Uh, someone had a, a system very similar to, to with a They tried to go with a more open magic system, which is really hard to pull off in a D20 system, when it's just simply you have levels, and these are the spells you memorize. So well, if I'm memorizing spells, it's not really open, is it? But then they <laughs> broke, broke specific rules to make that work, so then it was also just like, well, why would I not be a spellcaster? They get to roll different dice and more dice, so it's better being a spellcaster. So every other class is pointless. So they broke the rules to make their setting fit the open rules that they could use, which then didn't make it the same system anymore.
1: Yeah, I could see that. It finding that balance to make things work, and and that gets into the mechanics portion of it. So you really need to have a combination of. You know, it, it's best to, to have a great idea, but also have a, a mechanics-type person to to bounce things off of. Like, quite honestly, if I were to come up with a game, I would have Rob Benton pour through it and break it um, so I could find everything, both both he and Ian Benton, uh, previous guests on the show, um, and good friends of ours. So... Um, you know, I, the one thing that I would equate it to is open source. Open source programming. I remember having a conversation with one of the developers um, many years ago, uh, where I work, and he, somebody raised the the point of, well, if we switch to open source, we're probably going to end up with a lot of crap. And his counter to that was, you. If you were to pick up something that had been developed by somebody else, you you make sure that you read the comments and talk to people that have used it before to make sure that it works or what what cons there are to that particular uh, piece of software that you're you're looking at using. So I think. If indie companies are moving more towards that and you are interested in picking something up, you definitely want to do your research and your due diligence to make sure that if you pick up an open system, you figure out where its strengths and weaknesses are, Um, depending on what type of setting you want to lay on top of that.
0: Maybe I'm just old and bitter and I don't like new things. (laughs)
1: Let's
0: go back to the 80s when we just had D&D. Oh. Paranoia. And, and Star Wars.
1: Bite your Earth. tongue.
0: And Earth Dawn. And Shadowrun and Battletech. Ah,
1: and- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the good old days.
2: Yeah, right. you know, the advice that you just gave applies to the entire game industry because as the barriers to entry for producing stuff are decreasing, it makes it easy so much easier for the market to get flooded with crap. So there's just crap everywhere. Everything is ninety percent crap.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're very much in a caveat emptor, kind of, you know, if you're going to lay the money out for it, that's, that's on you to, if you didn't do the, the research on it. And, and yeah. you know, that's why getting, you know, reviews on anything is, is so important. Um, I know we ask for reviews on our shows, and that's kind of the same, same type of thing. Mm. The more people that <clears throat> enjoy the show, if they write a review then people will know whether it's worth their time to listen to or not and the other thing too is just getting feedback on anything if it's negative well then you have something that you need you know you need to work on and try to figure out a way to make it better so
0: or you know that people are stupid and they aren't as brilliant as you are <laughs> <laughs> that's my operating <laughs> hypothesis
1: oh if only i had an ego as such <laughs> I uh, want to talk about... Uh, I talked briefly about some of the other shows that Galactic Netcast has available. They just started a show called The Podcast of Terror. And, of course, now they're calling their, their the people that listen to, to the show Potheads, P-O-T, Podcast of Terror. An interesting couple of guys, Matt and Corey and... Uh, Uh, He has another contributor that comes on every once in a while, too. Uh, Like I said uh, earlier, Alien Invasion, Sci-Fi Geeks Club. We also have Weird World Weekly, where Dave and Matt talk about urban legends, strange and interesting things. Think of it as... um, What's that show that uh, Leonard Nimoy used to do?
0: In Search Of.
1: In Search Of. So, for those of you who are as old as Glenn and
2: I... There was a show nobody's that I, gonna get that reference. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're really not. Uh, basically, it's a it was a show where they just kind of looked into here's a legend and here's where some of that may have come from and here's stories about it and that's what Weird World Weekly is all about and it is a shorter program. It's about fifteen to twenty minutes. So if you're looking for a shorter show to listen to, uh, you might want to give give them a shot. Uh, We also host Galactic Netbytes, more five-minute type shows like the Who Knew and Reviews. If you're a fan of Doctor Who and other sci-fi type geekery, that's another thing that you might want to check on. You can check out all those shows and other news that we post regularly on our website at gncasts.com. All right, uh, Kickstarter Spotlight. Last time, you gave us Winterdale.
0: Winterdale. Yeah. Evil Fantasy Citadel Collection for twenty-eight mm This is three D printable terrain for your tabletop gaming pleasure. You pledge. If they already succeeded in their pledge, their goal was five hundred dollars.
1: Holy crap!
0: They got forty thousand seventy-four dollars.
1: Oh wow! Um,
0: so what is it? got a bunch of different pledge levels we get. Different sets of buildings, and then you can the what you get is you get the uh, the STL file that you can then download and print however many copies you want on your 3D printer at home, because now 3D printers are starting to become much more affordable than they were even just a year ago. You know you don't longer need to drop <laughs> ah. seven to ten thousand dollars for a, a decent 3D printer. So uh, there
2: were no physical deliverables for this Kickstarter campaign. No, no. It that's why
0: just, the $500
2: actually makes sense. Yes. Yep. And that's why they um, just totally I, cleaned up with I, their $40,000. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And this is something that, judging by the pictures they have, um, they had all the files already made. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, so this is like pure profit for them at this point. Yes. <laughs> that's yep. amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm changing and, businesses And right I around. think this
0: is definitely where <laughs> you're going to see a lot of this a lot of miniature stuff like this going is going to be towards this 3D, you know, printed at home Um, because that way the company has very little overhead. Yeah. I mean, they have, they have to pay the people who, who do the designs and that's it. They're not, they're not paying a company to produce a profit, a product. They're not paying to ship product to anyone. People are not paying to have it shipped to them. They're not paying some, you know, a company who had to pay, a factory who had to pay you know, a designer. They're just paying the company to pay the designer. That's it.
2: Right. This really and drives home the economics that will eventually change the world over to 3D printing.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is directly to the customer. No middle person whatsoever.
2: Yeah. And, and you, it, these are beautiful. These are not like yeah. cut-rate yeah. things. If you guys no. go to the page, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and the, the fact that uh, as someone who's a miniature gamer, Looking at some of these buildings on here to get some of these buildings, if you were to buy them right now, um, you know, from like a regular one of the regular companies that makes terrain stuff, it'd be probably made out of like a foam. Um, it, if you went really nice, to be resin, or the resin ones would be, you know, oh, you'd be probably starting no like a hundred dollars a building. Yeah. The foam ones you'd probably be starting at forty or fifty. So I mean, the fact that you could have got in on this for fifteen bucks to get a set of cottages. Uh, that you could just print all these different cottages. 40 bucks gets you the cottages and the tower. And I can tell you, a tower alone in terrain would cost you easily 40 bucks. Right. And the cost of 3D printing is also, once you have the printer, it's not very expensive.
2: And you don't even need the printer. A lot of cities have, you know, maker spaces where you can use yep. the printers. yep
0: Yeah. And and they got the, the printers now where that will run off recycled material. Mm. Yeah, you can you can cut up your old soda bottles and stuff like that. Coffee grounds? Go, what's that?
1: Coffee grounds. <laughs> Banana peel coffee grounds, coffee grounds.
0: Not yeah. coffee grounds. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want that. I, our friend Gretchen would come over and she would drink my miniature collection.
1: She'd lick 'em.
0: <laughs> snort, snort lines of your. <laughs>
1: Where'd the cottage go?
2: <laughs> uh,
0: In my nose. Yeah. <laughs> And they have, like a lot of their stretch goals too. Yeah, uh, so, the, and there which was would be a, understandable when your when your goal is so small, you can set your stretch goals pretty reasonably.
1: You know, and what there was. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, there was like a huge jump because they they made yeah. they hit forty thousand. They had a, a a huge jump from, uh, and this is in New Zealand dollars, uh, seventeen thousand. And then the next one up was 45. So they came up short on that, and that would have unlocked uh, what the covered uh, covered tower top, the turret. Um, and then there was... I thought I saw something else, too, that would have been unlocked. Maybe that was it. The gallows, I thought. There's a gallows, too. Oh, they got
0: stuff going... Oh, that yet. was
1: at 70,000. It would have been gallows. I mean, they, had, they
0: had stuff up, up over 100,000. Yeah. The Merchant Shop, the Modular Townhouse.
1: Modular the mall, Church the and Graveyard.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, is I'm, I'm sure uh, whatever these they don't already have made, they will make, and then they'll just have them for sale on their site, uh, which is, uh, I think, just it's like yep. printablescenery.com or something. Right. They'll be like print-on-demand yeah. so
2: they don't have to carry inventory. Yep.
1: Oh, I was so I was so close to, to picking up a, a 3d printer um, a few weeks ago
0: if yeah they've, they've got they've got some of the stuff on their website yep that's just that's
1: incredible and yeah you know um, we before the show Glenn and I were talking about his uh, trip to Barnes and Noble that he took <laughs> earlier and uh, Barnes and noble had a a 3D printer that. Then they were having a kind of after Christmas sale, and for like about two hundred and fifty dollars, you could have gotten a 3D printer that would have handled this.
2: Really? Yes. For a reputable company. Yes. Okay, it's not something. It was
1: like a hundred and sixty-eight dollars off. I they they. I'm kind of wondering if they over over purchased and they yeah. thought that maybe. They were going to sell a lot of them, and they didn't quite sell as many as they thought they
2: would. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. There. I mean, there are also uh, producers of these printers who are not... They don't make great printers, and the yeah. printers just, like, shit out wombat cubes, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there is, there is a bit of that, too. So, I mean, if you're in the market for, for a 3D printer, definitely you know, have them print something out or be able to see, you know, what kind of product that it puts out because there is, just like when you look at a printer, there is a resolution
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: a 3D printer will be able to print at and that depends on the type of head they use, it depends on the type of material that's being used, Uh, it it depends on a lot of different things. So, um, you know... That
2: said, I used to work for a research center... Where they could take like a MRI of your spine and then 3D print it out, or your skull, so you could like hold a replica of your own skeleton. <laughs> I, I would love. That's so cool.
1: I would love to get a 3D representation of my own skull. I think that yeah, would be really awesome.
2: Yeah. Does that make? Yeah, me you, can, you can replay the whole poor Yorick scene from Hamlet with your own head. <laughs>
0: Last poor me. <laughs> I
2: knew me well.
1: <laughs> At least I hope I did. All right. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, like Glenn was saying, if you go to uh, printablescenery.com, you can, if you have a 3D printer and you missed out on this Kickstarter, you can go to their site and purchase these files and download them and print them out. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Well, we're going to move on to our new pick, which I just posted episode 30 of our audio podcast, and we talked about uh, White Wolf being purchased and bought by... Oh, sure, I just posted it too, and now I can't remember the name of the company... Um, they were purchased from CCP and they were purchased by. And it completely escaped my brains. Unimportant. What is important, though, is we had questions about what was going to happen to White Wolf properties after the purchase, after the deal was made. Were. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. Internet move faster. <laughs> To get out and push the internet. Uh, Paradox Interactive, that's who it is. Ah. They bought the rights to the White Wolf publisher Yes. And the questions that we had were, you know, Onyx Path uh, was working with, with them to uh, put out updates on the classic uh, vampire, werewolf, all those other properties uh, that were originally done in the 90s and they were kind of bringing them up to date and by night studios was doing the larp stuff and that's what my pick is this week is mind's eye theater werewolf the apocalypse that's being done by by night studios now <clears throat> this has 50 days to go so Ooh. we've we've just hopped on to this okay with 50 days to go their goal is 70,000 they're almost halfway there <laughs> <laughs> So it's nice to know that uh, Minds Eye Theater LARP is still alive and well. Um, I used to do the uh, Vampire LARP back back in back in the nineties. <laughs> um Used to do the Vampire LARP at uh, at one of the local universities here. So.
0: when uh, I it, first met you, Brad.
1: Yes, it is. You and I were pretending to be vampires. Uh, good times, good times.
2: You rarely see campaigns that are this long anymore. Fifty days is a long time. Yeah.
1: It. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that as
2: well. Yeah. What's the rationale?
1: And I'm not sure.
2: I don't know no, either. Um. The trend is in the other direction. Yeah. A lot of the big campaigns yeah. recently have been like ten days, fifteen days. I.
1: And. There is a sense of urgency. If you can put in a sense of urgency, that's how you can kind of build build momentum. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you go, okay, well, this is only going to be around for 20 days, that can get people to, to move quickly and share information with other people and really kind of build an overwhelming response in a short period of time. Right. If you leave the door open for a long period of time, you get a lot of, "Eh, I'll get to it later, and then people don't. Yeah. Or they don't necessarily share it. So there's there's a danger to that. But also, you know, they're looking to to do 70,000. Of the LARPs, and at one point, we were thinking about switching from vampire to werewolf when we had a, a change at the university, um, <clears throat> as to who was running the game and whatnot, and we were thinking about doing a werewolf one. And s- at least the rules that we had at the time for the LARP seemed a little wonky, and we weren't sure how that was going to work. So I'm kind of wondering if the doors open longer because Vampire is the more popular LARP, and werewolf had a little bit of a hard time gaining traction. Now... I'm only saying that from what I know in Wisconsin. There was a lot more vampire LARPs than there were werewolf LARPs. So, mm. uh, and maybe that's, that's a reason. I, I, that's pure conjecture on my part.
2: So one thing I can say as someone who's run a Kickstarter campaign is that doing a long one can help if you don't jump out of the gate real quick. Uh, so I ran a campaign that started off sort of tepid, and but we had a 45-day ca- campaign, and like 15 days into it, uh, Board Game Geek went down, and the video that went up in its place was a game night video with Rich Summer, one of the actors from Mad Men, and they were playing the game that we were kickstarting. Uh, and so from that point on, our campaign exploded, but if we had had a short campaign, we would never would have gotten that. So there yeah. are good reasons to make it longer. No,
1: absolutely. And you know, just because we don't necessarily know what their plans are, there there has to be a reason for it. Um, but no, you make an absolutely good point. They could be having some other marketing things in the background that they're they're trying to crank up and, and get going here. So yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, and we talked about Onyx path and what <clears throat> and what they did for, or what they're currently doing for the 90s versions of the Vampire, Werewolf, and those other properties, that's what Binite Studios is doing for the LARPs. They're bringing things into current day, getting stats for um, newer things that exist now, like uh, smartphones. <laughs> we take them for granted now, but when they put this together in the 90s, didn't exist. Um, you were lucky if you had a flip phone. Uh, at certain points, depending on where you were. was
0: right for the 90s. It could hold up to five numbers in memory. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see.
1: So for this particular Kickstarter, $10 uh, will get you a PDF quick start guide to Mind's Eye Theater, Werewolf, The Apocalypse, plus your name and character's name will be listed in the credits of the page. Twenty-five will get you a full color oh a full color PDF copy. Thirty five gets you a soft cover and the PDF. So if you're like me, I always needed a, a copy of the rules somewhere nearby because I can't keep rules in my head unfortunately for long periods of time uh, so it's always nice to have a, a soft cover copy to, to refer back to so 35 bucks. if you're a die hard fan of the game that's not a whole lot of money so that would be nice and I wish I had time to, to LARP I wouldn't mind doing it again at least just once uh, looking at some of the unlockables here, they have some tribe pins from Werewolf. Um, gosh, they made other stuff here for Vampire, too. Nice. So it looks like they've got Getafenris, the Silver Fangs, the Arun, and the Goral. which, you know, it's sad that I kind of remember <laughs> some <laughs> of the tribe's... <laughs> uh, still to this day. All right. Oh, yeah. So they are... Boy, if they get it up to $100,000, they're looking to produce a hardcover version of this. Wow. Oh, and just scrolling through this, it's like a walk down memory lane. If they get to one hundred and sixty. That's the Kitsune, which is the Were Foxes, uh, the Ananasi, the Were Spiders, uh, the Rokia, the Were Sharks. Oh, man. <laughs> <sighs> to be young again. Anyways, 35 bucks. that would be my recommendation for this if you are a diehard Mind's Eye Theater fan. Um, you'll definitely get everything you need to uh, to relive or play uh, a larp again in that particular setting. So there you go. Uh, they already did uh, vampire uh, two years about two and a half years ago now. Yeah, uh, they redid the vampire Larp rules. So uh, I have a feeling that they're going to if they can keep that relationship uh, going, uh, they'll eventually get through changeling. I know that back in the day they had rules for mage changeling and I thought Wraith as well. So uh that would be cool to see them bring those all back and update them and have a whole new gener- have a whole new generation experience the LARP that we used to back in the nineties. <laughs> so there you go.
0: I, I can't I can't read anything about werewolf anymore without thinking back to Gen Con in like nineteen early nineteen ninety something one of the, the big writers for White Wolf back then, and we were at his booth, uh, I was there with a friend of mine who knew him, and we were talking, and he got on the subject of the thing that bothered him the most was people who would uh, want to tell them about their, his, their characters. Um, it wasn't just telling them about the characters, but he would say they would say about how they're playing in, like, you know, sanctioned games with characters that can't be in sanctioned games. Particularly, one of the ones was... Uh, you know who the White howlers are, howlers are, Brad?
1: No, I don't remember.
0: Do you know who the Black Spiral Dancers are? Yes. The White Howlers oh. were the tribe that became the Black Spiral Dancers. Yes, so yes. He said, he said, he goes, he goes at least once a day at every show I go to, someone will come and tell me about the character who is the last of the White Howlers. We, we he says, I would just tell them, there are no more White Howlers the only thing left are black spiral dancers. If you're playing in a sanctioned game, there are no white howlers. They would try to argue, well, but you know, in ours, in your home campaign, that's fine, but in in the actual white wolf universe, there are no white howlers. And just as he finished saying that, not more than a minute later, someone comes up, wants him to sign uh, uh, a picture that they had drawn of their character, who is the last of the white howlers. (laughs) So I can't think. I can never think of werewolf without just watching the look on his face. <laughs> when he just he that person that he turns to us and just kind of gives a. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think of with werewolf now is.
1: Uh, yep. I remember trying to do a vampire character who is a, uh, Ketif... Tremere... And that did not fly. I was told you, pick one. <laughs> or it wasn't going to happen. And I'm like, alright, that's fine. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, screw the rules. I just you know, was trying to get an interesting character background. and it, That's fine. I, I chose to be a Tremere and we moved on. Alright, enough about my LARP experience. Uh, we have a guest. And that guest is Nick Bentley. And he created, see, I need to, I forgot to put the exclamation mark at the end of that. He created a game called Stinker. Stinker!
2: That's right. With
1: enthusiasm, like you mean it.
2: Yeah. So first, thanks for interviewing me, and I want to tell you, uh, before tonight, I was a podcast virgin. (sighs) Ooh. So you have changed my life. We've, we we've never been, forget
1: this. We're trying to be as gentle as possible, Nick.
2: We <laughs> want this to,
1: to, to be a good experience for, for everyone involved.
2: <laughs> the wine is making it easier. <laughs> That's not the first time I've
0: heard that.
1: All right. Reminds me of the date I had I
0: once. want to, to pop someone's
1: cherry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Nick. Please <laughs> save the show and tell us about <laughs> Stinker!
2: All right. So uh, first I should say this is not a role-playing game because... That's what we've we'll been talking about for the last three hours.
1: We kind of have, and I, I apologize for that. <laughs> uh,
2: no, this is a, it's a very simple party game that I uh, invented for my lady love, who is actually now my wife. Oh, nice. Um, I've, got a, I've got a tattoo ring to show for it. Oh, there we go. Pretty cool. Um, so it's sort of uh, it's a party game. The goal is laughter, and it uh, uses um, anagrams to create that laughter. So the playtesters call it, or they like to call it, Bananagrams Against Humanity. (laughs) Nice, okay. Even even though it's not as inevitably dirty as uh, Cards Against Humanity, but people call it that anyway. The basic idea is there's a bunch of prompts, questions, for example, like, what's under the Pope's hat? Somebody reads off a question, and each player has a jumble of random letter tiles in front of them. And they try to construct an answer to the question with their letter tiles, using as many or as few letters as they want. They have a couple wild tiles in there that can stand for any letter. They can make a word, a phrase, a sentence, or anything else they can think of. Uh, Spelling and grammar don't matter. There are literally no rules about how you construct your answer. Uh, And when you're done, you yell out, stinker. You go around until everybody but one player has yelled out, stinker. That last laggard becomes the judge. Then everybody sort of reads off their answers and tries to convince the judge that theirs should be picked. The judge picks their favorite. And then the winner gets points equal to the number of letters in the answer, so it encourages longer answers to counteract the uh, disincentive for long answers due to uh, the, time, the time, time pressure. OK. Uh, so the basic idea is that uh, because you're constrained in what you can say by your letters, you end up saying weird, awkward things that, uh, <laughs> that are funny. Uh, so you can kind of sort of be accidentally funny in this game, although you can also be quite creative, and many people are. Um,
0: and it can lead to discussions of what what words mean. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. When I threw out, for, for my answer, I threw out jingoism. Yeah. So, so right, so there you go. It's so, like, <laughs> what is that? I'm like, <laughs> extreme patriotism. <laughs> right. Oh,
2: the background to this game is that I uh, I've, I've been a game designer for all my adult life, and uh, my lady love, Kristen, she is incredibly good at word games. She's so good that I've never seen anybody beat her ever at anything. And uh, I wanted to create a word game that she could play with mortals. <laughs> <laughs> So I created this game where you can be funny by being bad at putting words together, and funny is the metric that decides whether you win or not.
1: Sure, okay.
2: Um, so, and it is a game where she doesn't always win, or even win, she doesn't even win most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but she still loves playing it because it's really fun to fiddle with your letters and find the cool combinations to make cool words and stuff.
1: See, that's that's wonderful. That... that part of the mechanic reminds me of Superfight mm-hmm. a little bit where yeah. um, you know you have to at the end of it you need to argue why what you put out is better than everybody else's right. um, and I think that that's that's a wonderful great equalizer um, because then it comes down to your ability to persuade others as to why yours is better than, than anybody else's. So Yeah,
2: although I should say in this game it's not required that you do that. Because a lot of people don't have performance anxiety about presenting their answers. So sure. in this game it's just optional. And a lot of times people win on the strength of their answer alone without um, yeah, without defending it
1: having to politic for why there's this better than everybody else's gotcha. Right. You,
2: you sometimes get one where the like the answer is so hilarious everybody cracks up and there's like no way the judge is going to pick anybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um how does how does your now wife feel about having a game named after her?
2: This is a question that everybody asks me, and I think <laughs> I think it's because they're worried that it's called Stinker, uh, so my girlfriend's name, or wife's name, is Kristen. Uh, and so Stinker is an anagram of her name. Aha. So even, though it's called, even though it's called Stinker, it really is her name in disguise. Uh, so I think people are worried that I'm calling her Stinker or something like that, uh, in naming the game that, but no, I'm totally not, and she loves it. Uh, we have very similar <laughs> senses of humor. So... Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like in Barnes & Noble, so people are constantly sending me pictures of the game like on the Barnes & Noble shelves, and I show them to Kristen, and it's like, you know, her name is at Barnes & Noble. <laughs>
0: and, and, I, and I will say, as someone who works in, in game retail, Stinker is easier to pitch for her game name than Kristen.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So have you been having success with it at the Barrister? We're currently sold out. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's got, been selling um, way beyond expectations in general. Such good. that Foxmine, the publisher, is has been sold out again and again. Uh, I just I hope they can get enough of it in stock to satisfy everybody soon.
1: Now, as a game designer, hearing that from a company that is, you know, producing and, and getting your game out that has to be, like, a huge ego boost.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's maybe (laughs) the biggest ego boost ever. Uh, And this is... So I've been designing games forever, but um, it has been sort of like a private, mm, quasi-autistic pastime for me for most of my adult life. It's just I would scribble in my notebooks and make my games, and I wouldn't really show them to anybody. I just got a ton of pleasure out of making games just for myself. Sure. This is the first one where I'm like, hey, okay, I'm going to try to publish it. And uh, it's doing fantastic, so it's like ah, I must be great at this. <laughs> I'm not sure that's actually true, but it feels like that at the moment. Until well, I know.
1: you know, and that's and that's all right because I know I I was doing a bit of research and I see that you are working on having an an app version of the game put together.
2: Yeah, I've just started working on it
1: now. Uh, since you're just kind of at the beginning. <sighs> You've obviously created the physical version of the game. Now when you move it into a digital arena, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you have to think about now that you didn't really have to think about when you create a physical version that you can hold in your hand?
2: Yeah, so the biggest issue for me is that this is a party game, which depends on social interaction. Sure. And many app games are built such that they don't need that. You know, I have another uh, another app out for an abstract game called Catch Up, yep. and you just play against the AI, AI when you're sitting on the john or whatever, uh, like, and you know, that's how many people play their mobile games. Uh, so it's trickier to make a party game. You have to create a sense of, you know, festivity and uh, social interaction, and I'm thinking a lot about how to do that. Now... I think it's possible, and one of my motivations for doing uh, an app is, uh, before the game was even published, in order to promote it, I started running the game on social media. So I would post an image with a, a question and then a bunch of letter tiles on it, and everybody would just respond with uh, the answers that they would have made if those were their letter tiles. So they didn't even have the ability to uh, like rearrange the letter tiles to find letters, to find words. Okay, sure. Uh, but even in that very limited form, it was really entertaining and it worked really well and people loved, like, looking at other people's answers. Also, because there's no, no time pressure, you can, you know, you can really take your time fiddling with the answer you want to come up with, which is itself pleasurable and leads to better answers. Sure. Uh, so it worked, like, really, really well, and that's when I got excited about doing an app.
1: <laughs> that's really cool. Um... <clears throat> Excuse me, now you mentioned that you've been a game designer your whole life and you've done a lot of stuff for yourself. What, what are some of the other games that you've done?
2: Uh, yeah, so I mentioned Catch Up, which is available on iOS Universal. Simple two-player abstract game, uh, which is just you fill in hexes on a hexagonal board uh, and the goal is to have the largest connected group of your own colored hexes when the board is full the trick is that when you create a, a connected group of hexes that's larger than your opponents, your opponent gets to fill in more hexes on their next turn. So there's a balance between taking the lead
1: Ooh, okay.
2: and uh, giving your opponent power. Sure. Exactly. So that, it's very, that's very simple. I've done a ton of abstract games. Uh, I love Im- the idea of emergent complexity. I love extremely simple rules that lead to more than you would expect. Yeah, okay. Um, right now, however, uh, I'm not working on that stuff. I actually, for my day job now, work for North Star Games, the makers of Wits and Wagers.
0: Okay. And okay. Evolution, which I
2: reviewed last week. Oh, oh, I didn't see that you reviewed it. That's really cool. I'm actually working on that system. I'm co-designing the next expansion for Evolution with the game's designer, Dominic Crapuchet.
0: Nice. And thank you for pronouncing his name. I could na- I never knew... Before we did the episode, I'm looking everywhere trying to figure out how to pronounce <laughs> it. I'm watching every video.
2: And it's a name that you feel a little weird about pronouncing. Yes. But, he, you know, honestly, he does not care how you pronounce it. <laughs> he often tells people to say, Dominic, crap or shit.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah.
1: I suppose there's a certain point when you have a complex name, you kind of have to have a sense of humor about it, or or you yeah. just cry a lot.
2: Yeah. When he says it with his... He, he's he's, he's uh, American, but he can say it with the fancy French accent that the name was intended to be spoken with, and then it sounds not bad at all, but I can't do that. <laughs> <sighs>
1: so, you're working on that.
2: Hmm. Oh, and which I should say... Uh, so uh, if you didn't hear Glenn's review, evolution is a game where you create species, and species yeah. compete in an environment with scarce food and predators lurking around to try to survive and, uh, for the most part, try to maximize the amount of food they eat over the course of a game. And it uh, simulates some key aspects of evolutionary theory, but it's also super fun. I'm working on an expansion that introduces the effects of climate change on those species, and it's oh. called Climate. Climate. We're going to kickstart it on February eighth.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, <clears throat> I know we're going to be uh, choosing four <laughs> Kickstarter that we'll be spotlighting. Cool. Woo-hoo! Um, yeah, because uh, I know when we talked about evolution last week, you mentioned that um, the flight was going to be introduced pretty quick.
0: It's out.
2: Flight oh, is it out. is out. Okay. Flight is out. Yeah, okay. flight has been out for a few months now.
1: Um, okay. So it, it's always it's always wonderful to hear that a game that is a very fun to play that the company is working on expansions to kind of keep the game fresh and interesting and and have you reapproach the game in a different way and 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 keep it exciting. So that's really cool that you you've got that gig and you're working on making evolution evolving evolution as it were.
2: Yep, you're not the first person to have used that phrase.
1: <laughs> Darn it, I. <laughs> You're I'm thinking I'm witty and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What um, what else is next for you? I mean, if you had, you do a lot of abstract games. Is there a, a different type of game that you would love to just give a go and see where it takes you?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, first I think I'm thinking I'm going to do more more party games. Um, okay. So I have found it incredibly satisfying when people send me their hilarious stinker answers, which they, they're they always texting them to me. Sure. Uh, like just a short time ago, I got one from a friend. Uh, I guess the prompt was uh, the name of an unpublished Dr. Seuss book, and his answer was Red Eggs and Valium. Like I'm getting these all the time. It makes me so happy to read these. See, yeah, this
0: is what this is why I, I love games like this so much more yes. than Cards Against Humanity or Apples to Apples because they let you be so creative. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not I mean, just I'm I, I, not just going oh. I can put down a card like any monkey could do if you gave them cards and not poop to throw. Um, right.
2: <laughs> no, I, I understand why those games are designed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It takes all the pressure off the players, and there's a yes. place for that. But after you play one, after you've seen a card once, it's over. It's so boring. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't like to design those games for that reason.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I can understand that. There, there, there are just some people who, who cannot, they just don't have that creative element to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, they can find two midgets shitting in a bucket funny, but they could, they could not come up with that on their own.
2: Right. I do envy people who can find two midgets shitting in a bucket funny over and over and over ten times in a row. Yes. Like, I might have chuckled the very first time I heard that years and years ago. Yes. But I haven't laughed at it a single time since.
1: Yeah, I, Glenn and I were talking uh, before the show about comic books, and I would equate it to this. I loved a comic book by uh, Evan Dorkin, and it was called Milk and Cheese. And they were actually a carton of milk and a wedge of cheese, and they were ultra-violent, and they drank and did all this stuff. But it was one of those things where you read the comic once, and the gags were wonderful when you read it. <clears throat> but I would come back and read it again a month later, and I'm like... Mm. It didn't have the the same impact because it, you know, it, it did the over the top stuff and then it wasn't, it didn't surprise you, it didn't shock you, which was the whole purpose of the thing.
0: Did stuff, it did over the top stuff and just repeated over and over. Was, did Garth Ennis write it?
2: <laughs> Maybe. There it is. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to do more party games. Awesome. I also. I really want to do, at some point, a very free-form negotiation game. I I think negotiation games have scope for a great depth. Um, If you do them right, I mean, you know, Diplomacy, for example, fantastic game. Sure. Uh, Although not one that people can play a lot anymore because it's so long and so intense. (sighs) Yeah.
0: Um, In, In college, you lose friends over it.
2: Right. Yeah, so I used to play Intrigue all the time. I don't know if you guys... Oh, yeah know that game. It's no. a very simple um, Stefan Dora card game where you can't win without screwing somebody over hard. Uh, it like takes like, the nastiest parts of diplomacy and, and just distills it. Distills it in this ball of hate. Oof. I'm destined to like games that don't sell commercially. This might be one of those. I don't know. But I, <laughs> I love those kinds of games and I want to design one like that eventually.
1: That's cool.
0: I'd... If you if you come up with something like Intrigue Man, I will buy it and I will play it.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay. I'll let you know as soon as I come up with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you, where can people find out more about you, more about Stinker, and any, uh, any of the other stuff that you do?
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, you can find me at nickbentleygames.wordpress.com. Yeah, I don't have my own domain because I'm lame. Well, I'm lazy. That's the real reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's no shame in that.
2: <laughs> um, and you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Nick underscore underscore Bentley, which is the dumbest Twitter handle in the history of Twitter handles. Uh, Nick underscore Bentley was taken, so I had to take Nick double underscore Bentley. I don't know no, why. Oh,
1: no. Um,
2: I think those are the two main ways. And you can also you know, look up my stuff on BGG.
1: Okay, perfect. Perfect. And we are going to include uh, links.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that is a great picture.
2: Glenn is referring uh, to those who uh, can't see what he's looking at uh, to my Twitter account. Yes. Where I'm wearing an interesting wig to make up for my total baldness.
0: With great hair comes your responsibility.
2: <laughs> That's right. And a lot of hair product, My should. motto.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, please, the next game that you, that you put out uh, when you have the, uh, the expansion done, we want to have you back, Nick.
2: I would love to. I would really love to. Okay. Very cool. Thanks.
1: Uh, next up, Hello, My Name Is. That's your opportunity to tell us about your favorite character that you have or are currently playing. Uh, you can go to gncasts.com, Actually, oh, I forgot to tell everybody about this. Say, we modified some things. You can go to gncasts.com slash adventure, and that will take you right to the Adventure Party page. How about that? So you can find Hello My Name Is if you go to gncasts.com slash adventure, and you will see a link to... Hello, my name is... There's a short form for you to fill out to tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your character. I do ask for your email address, but if you follow us on uh, our Facebook group page, the only reason why I do that is because I send back a certificate uh, as a thank you for participating that you can uh, print out. It's a PDF, and you can hang it on your wall or throw darts at it or whatever, but it's our way to thank you for taking the time to... uh, to tell us about your character and and what you're playing, and then it also, if it's a game that we haven't necessarily played or played often, it gives us a chance to uh, do a little research and uh, and talk a little bit about it and do some game discovery with with other folks that are listening. So, uh, you can find out more about our meetings, our show notes for each meeting, and contact info, and uh, subscription links as well by going to gncasts.com/adventure. Uh, You can find and follow us on Twitter or join our Facebook group by using the Facebook search term, Galactic Netcasts, and you can also find all of our social media outlets by clicking the links on our website. Uh, You can find our YouTube channel uh, where we record uh, this uh, live, and you can see it while it happens, Um, but you can also watch uh, basically a visual version, and it's uncut uh... when we do the audio versions would like to clean some things up not necessarily the language or anything but uh... awkward pauses or things like that, or inevitably Glenn and I will do some research and there's huge pauses while we're typing. All you can hear is us typing away at our keyboards. We we try to pull all that out and give you a streamlined version of just pure audio for you to listen to. But if you want to see all that stuff without any edits or anything, you can find it at youtube.com slash galactic netcasts. Uh, if you're using iTunes or Stitcher to listen to the audio versions of this, uh, please take a moment and give us a review and let us know what you think. Uh, your review, positive or negative, can help shape the Adventure Party and help make it better. Uh, you can leave us feedback by emailing, and this is a new thing too, adventure at gncasts.com, and you can either call or text us at 805 328 39 Again, 805-328-3966 if you do text us. Depending on your plan, you might get charged a little bit for that. Uh, You can also go to the website, and uh, there's a button that says, uh, and now my brain turned off, uh, leave us feedback or leave a message, and uh, if you click that, it's in the lower left hand corner, It will take you to a page where you can just record audio if you have a microphone attached to your computer and you can leave us a voice message directly on the website and then it shoots us to us uh, as an MP3 in an email. And then we can play that back and and discuss what you've got to say. So uh, I want to thank you very much, Nick, for taking the time to talk to us and um, let us know a little bit more about Stinker! (laughs) <laughs> I just, I, I always want to raise my fist when I say
2: that now.
0: Oh yeah, and congrats on the Geek Dad's top list.
2: Yeah, I was very excited about that. A, a prominent website for those listening called Geek Dad uh, named Stinker as one one of its games of the year for 2015.
1: Nice, congratulations.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: That's really cool. Well, you are having a great deal of success with Stinker. Yes, yes uh, I am. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Uh, and we will have uh, links in the show notes on how you can uh, find uh, Nick's uh, Facebook page, his Twitter page, and you can follow him and find out what's next for Nick. So uh, I want to thank you, Glenn, for uh, once again putting up with me and uh, <laughs> talking that's about that's games. So Brad. It is. I'm mature. I'm mature. <laughs> uh, where can people find out more about you and about your RPG Mistrunner?
0: You can find out more about me on Facebook, uh, Mr. RPG. Uh, also, uh, find me on YouTube with the P&B Bunker and Naked No Productions. Or just follow me on Twitter, at Naked Homo.
2: Or, if you happen to be in the Midwest, stop by the Board Game Barrister in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is like the greatest board game store in the history of everything. <laughs>
0: Why, thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: It is a very nice store. And uh, Glenn, we were almost in Milwaukee this weekend, and we would have uh, done a surprise visit. <sighs> <laughs> but uh, just like everything else, whenever we plan a trip to Milwaukee, it, it falls... Through. I think that's the other reason why I didn't tell you. <laughs> it's like whenever I plan a trip to Milwaukee, something happens. So <sighs> One of these days, brother, we'll, we'll hang out in Milwaukee, I swear to God. <laughs> Uh, Thank you so much for joining us at the adventure party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night.
0: You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com.
2: That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.